Weekly update in a moment. I want to remind you that the Destiny Foundation and the Young Israel of Flatbush present a conversation with Rabbi Beryl Wine and Malcolm Honline. Ooh. I am not the only one who has the privilege of discussing things with Malcolm Honline. In this case, on Wednesday night, it'll be Rabbi Beryl Wine. Uh, and that'll be at the Young Israel of Flatbush starting at 8 p.m., 1012 Avenue I in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, information about all of this, you can go to jewishdestiny.com, you can go to rabbiwine.com, you can call for information at 1-800-499-9346. If I remember correctly from all of our nine days programming, that is 1-800-499-WEIN. So Malcolm Honline will be speaking with Harry Barrel Wine Wednesday night at the Young Israel of Flatbush. Malcolm Honline is one lucky man. For a variety of reasons, most immediately because he is in the holy city of Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update from the holy city of Jerusalem. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, shalom, shalom. <laughs> I like that. You've adjusted well to that country, I see. <laughs> I adapt right away. That's very nice. Um, so many things to talk about. I want to start with this because uh, last week we started in Israel, then eventually got to what's happening with Iran, thought we'd do the opposite this time around. Uh, Iran, the U.S., and the European Union ended two days of high-level talks on Tehran's nuclear program on Monday with no immediate sign they had bridged gaps ahead of a November 24th deadline for an agreement. Now, I understand uh, this is what's being reported in the press. Often you know the inside word about what to expect. Is there anything you could tell us 10 days away from this deadline? Well, I think that the next deadline uh, after the meetings in Oman on November 10th uh, this week uh, will be the November 18th session. I think it will be in Vienna. And my guess will be that you won't. They won't reach an accord. I think the gaps really are still too big, and the Iranians read the willingness of the West to negotiate, as they have, as perhaps uh, an openness for them to be able to exploit, to gain more, that they will not give up enrichment, they will not give up and, and dismantle any of their facilities, which has to be seen as a primary requisite for a, a deal. So I think the likelihood is that we will see a, an extension of some sort, and as uh, one official said, it could be six weeks to six months. But I think uh, <coughs> Congress will start moving on this. The the uh, on terms of uh, additional sanctions, there's a lot of anger because of the talk and reports that the administration is looking to bypass Congress, while they can and the president can act and has uh, the power to to take certain measures. Uh, I think it would be unwise to bypass Congress, where the feeling is running uh, very strong. The Russians even said that there may not be uh, it may not be possible to to reach a deal. And the French Foreign Minister, I saw, said that uh, there are key questions still to be resolved. So the overall um, atmosphere is one of uh, I think uh, doubting and uh, suspicion, and especially because the the Iranians didn't let in. The, uh, the delegation from the IEA, and especially the American, who was a bomb expert, at least on five occasions, they kept refusing him access to to, to come in, in, entry and the delegation access to the facility. So as long as they continue to do that, you have no transparency. We don't certainly know what we don't know, 
We don't know what additional mm. facilities, and even the facilities we know, we're not completely sure what what is going on. Is is there anybody doing the bidding of people like you who are completely outraged by all these extensions? Is there any you know is there any potent voice in the U.S. that's you know that that's noteworthy that is expressing their anger that that these extensions are exactly the opposite of what needs to be done? Well, I think that there are um, uh, quite a few voices, even in the media, but especially people like Senator Menendez, Lindsey Graham, others who have been speaking out regularly. There are members of the House, uh, Royce and Engel, and others who have been very vociferous um, at Deutsch. Uh, in fact, I would say across the board, both Republicans and Democrats in the House and in the Senate. And you know what? They, they just look at the facts. You look at, aside from the negotiations, which were supposed to be about dismantling Iran's nuclear program, and now seems to be about how long a breakout period it will take. Uh, but they look at what's happened in Yemen. They look at their role in Iraq. They look at their role in Syria, in in uh, Lebanon. It's destructive, and it's instructive in the sense that the Iranians have now become determinate forces in those countries. At the same time, their human rights record is abysmal, they put out yeah. figures that were already in the first half of 2014, over 400, I think 411 executions. That means one every three hours, every eight hours on average, 24-7 throughout the year. And it's, it's um, you know, it should be something that should people should find so repulsive. And we look at how they are, and especially it has minorities from religious and ethnic uh, groups, and they use both the physical torture, psychological torture, and they don't pay any price for it. Nobody holds them to account for it. The people in the region are very concerned. They're concerned by the letter that the president sent, and that we understand there were four of them. Uh, responses by Khamenei that we don't know exactly, but it doesn't appear that he was very forthcoming. I think the president wanted to show that we've given them every uh, opportunity to demonstrate that they really want to be a partner or really are prepared to take some steps. They are not, and they continue to support terrorism. They uh, they are, are working uh, to advance some of the terrorist operations that we see in Syria, et cetera, and uh, uh, arming uh, and training Shiite groups in Iraq who are more vicious even than al-Nusra uh, and, uh, and ISIS. So... I think that the the um, role they played now that was exposed of, of uh, uh, as as Iran itself admitted of building uh, Syrian missile production plants uh, designed by Iran that they that missiles um, missile training and production capabilities were taught to in Gaza and Hezbollah. These are not insignificant because it gives right. you the full picture you, 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 of you, the you, danger posed by them. Yeah, you said something very, uh, n- something interesting about the, the, the presidential potential presidential response. You mentioned the letters and uh, obviously I, I, can't, I can't imagine that uh, too many people on uh, you know on the, on the stronger side of the issue the anti-Iran issue were happy about that correspondence but it, as much as you've just offered it as a possible analysis do you think it's realistic that he was doing it as a final warning shot? Really wanted to put out there the the um, uh, statement to Iran that this is it. You know, we we've done everything. We've kept every uh, end of the bargaining table on our end. And you know, if things don't materialize the way they're supposed to by November the twenty fourth or whatever, you know, shortly afterwards, 
that that this is it, this is the final straw, or is it very unlikely that that was the president's intention? I, I don't know. I, I offer it as one of the interpretations that's possible about what the president intended. We don't know what was in the other four letters. But we know that in dealing with a country like Iran, and especially with the, the supreme leader, who then sees this perhaps as weakness, not as, as strength and determination, uh, as the president may intend it to be to send messages that, you know, if you want us to work with you on ISIS, and remember, what we're doing to ISIS is benefiting uh, Iran. This is in their interest, given their alignments and their uh, interests. Is there any is there, is there any stable government that it doesn't benefit? When the U.S. goes up against ISIS and takes action, especially militarily, is, is there any, sta- assuming for a moment that we call every established government in the Middle East a stable government, is there any government that doesn't benefit from that? Yes, uh, Assad. Does not the benefit Assad from regime, it? We're, we, we, we are strengthening the hands of... Uh, uh, of some of the other groups, the rebel groups, others. We, what we are also attacking, you know, uh, uh, the Harassani, the others who are who are operating in, in these regions. But and and the reason and the out, and but, the and what people point out is that we're not attacking the the people Iran supports. Like we do not attack Syrian troops and do anything to set back Assad. We don't certainly don't endanger uh, the regime. The same thing is true in Iraq. So. What they identified as their interest seems to be uh, then outside of the target range. Uh, what about this new unity? This uh, is it official that ISIS and Al Qaeda are now unified? Are now have now merged together? Are now going to stop fighting amongst themselves and go you know after their common enemies? These are all temporary arrangements. Their basic interests are not the same. IS has already declared the caliphate does not include the al-Qaeda. They were a breakaway. They were seen as even more extreme. But the the uh, I think that the goals today, the leadership uh, interests of the individuals, the egos, etc., it, it enables them to find a common grounds uh, on particular in particular countries. It does not cross borders, so they may be working together in one country, but not working together uh, in another. And the uh, I think that the you know to to read too much into any of these reports about alignments they shift every day and in many ways and I've talked about this on the air about how all these rebel groups end up fighting each other right. rather than fighting the Syrians they fight Assad uh, you know uh, they the rebels versus ISIS or versus um, uh, the the Al Nusra Al Qaeda groups. It's impossible to map it. So if analysts declare that they are greater than the sum of their parts, that, that's a little bit overblown. There's so much inner strife. There, there's so much uncommon ground that it, it, it would be, it would be a rough analysis to try to prove that. Absolutely. But they, 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 and there are some very interesting comments even from the leaders of these groups to this effect. Yeah, interesting. So when they have these formal or somewhat informal ceremonies, you know, to to talk about and to establish their unity, it's simply what's best for this week for them. Do you remember in the old days when Egypt and Libya, in Egypt and Syria, and then Libya and Syria, and everybody right. used to have these joint governments. They, right. they would merge their governments. They would have uh, the joint the national unity, and et cetera. And that was always a sham. And I think that that's true here too. That that whatever front they put on, uh, it, the rebels we see in Syria, for instance, are fighting very on on different fronts. 
You have rebels in the Golan. You have, in some cases, pushing al-Nusra out. In other cases, uh, cooperating. You have um, uh, different circumstances in virtually every place, and they and they are killing each other too. Yeah, unbelievable. Malcolm Honline in Jerusalem. Um, what do you think of the North Korean cooperation with the release of the detainees this week? It's cost-free, virtually, for them. We don't know what they got for it. They certainly are looking for goodwill. It took the heat off of them for what they've done with the missiles, firing missiles, and their continued um, progress on on their nuclear program. So I frankly don't see the... I'm glad they're home. I hope everybody who's being held hostage anywhere or uh, held in prisons uh, for, you know, on these trumped-up political charges will be released. But the the fact is that they stood the game. They hoped in in the uh, international arena. So these so they paid no price. And these gestures, in addition to the reputation, they do buy more time. There, there's a practical element to them. Well, in, in certain senses, yes. I mean, it's very hard to to go and attack or criticize when right. they just signed a de- made a deal and released uh, to people that you wanted uh, uh, that you wanted to get free. So the leader of North Korea is not as crazy as we think, is a shrewder political leader than we think? What's the... We don't know what to think about him. Right. He disappeared for a long period. Because because the international media paints him as this crazy man, yet you're describing a situation where he's got some diplomatic savvy in him. Well, we don't know if it's him or if it's other officials. We don't know the full role that he's playing. You know, he's, he's re-emerged in the last few days. But... Um, uh, it's hard to, to assess. Overall, we know that North Korea's trajectory has not been a positive one. Right. Malcolm Holmline with us from Jerusalem. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Another week where we've seen uh, attacks in Jerusalem. The, this time it's... Uh, uh, we, we've moved now from moving cars to knife attacks, Tel Aviv, the Gush area. You know what happened, and so many of our listeners, of course, are focused on the news and, and grieve together to, uh, to an extent when these things occur. Um, what do you say about the safety and security? We know what happened during the era of the bus bombings and how Israelis had to think twice about boarding buses and uh, the apprehension that they would send their kids out to buses. What about now, standing at rail stations or at intersections and wondering what might happen? Well, first of all, I think it's it's much quieter today. There were some incidents, uh, including Hebron, and minor uh, clashes. Um, but first, let me just preface that I was at Sharet Tzedek today to visit some of the uh, the wounded, including uh, Rabbi Glick, who I'm sleeping, but I met his parents, whom I knew 40 years ago when they lived in Brooklyn, and his condition has improved. There's still danger, but he's much better breathing on his own and, and seems to be on the right way, and a Drew's uh, uh, officer. And it's really remarkable how upbeat, how determined, wanting to get back to work, and then his brothers and uh, as well. Uh, so it was very encouraging when you see the determination and the, and the bravery of these people. And the, uh, you know, and people are very determined here not to succumb to the pressure. And uh, today the, the the uh, Temple Mount, our bite, was open to all ages. Uh, they were expecting uh, trouble, but I think overall uh, it was pretty quiet. 
what they what is clear and it, it came out of the meeting in Jordan last night with Secretary Kerry and the Prime Minister King. I, I met the Prime Minister right before he went. You, you have extensive incitement that's ongoing from the PA, Palestinian Authority, including from Abbas, when he says you have to protect the, uh, the Temple Mount by all means against the assault, uh, painting uh, Israelis and Jews as somehow violating it, always denigrating any claim of the Jews, and that means Christians as well, denying the biblical accounts and the, and the existence of the temples. Uh, it has become a focal point in, in, in this, but Israel has said they're not going to change the status quo, and yet that doesn't help, and, and we see the uh, Europeans and others all jumping on this, and they know that there's nothing more sensitive that PA knows certainly than uh, claiming that there's something violative going on at the Temple Mount or at our bias, um, and, the, and, and uh, Abbas himself and Fatah are instigating this, as is uh, Hamas, as is part of the uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islamic movement, uh, which is in 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 Israel, the, the uh, northern branch, which is very extreme and associated, as I pointed out, with the Muslim Brotherhood. So the, the, the number of attacks has, sh- has shot up over months, recent months, mm-hmm. and you had six fatalities in a month. The government, I think, is determined not to let this happen. They cannot allow it to happen. Tourism suffers. Uh, people's lives suffer. Cast up all over the country, even though life in 99% of the country just goes on. Uh, with that in mind, <laughs> what is the security situation in places like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv? I mean, it has to be better than it was a couple of weeks ago, I hope. Uh you're asking uh, a very good question. <laughs> I mean, it's a ve- it's very hard to secure a people against drive over murderers. It, and and when you do a campaign where they talk about use vehicular uh, attacks, and the world, and especially papers like the New York Times, then describes it. You know, Palestinians suspected. Well, who else? And and uh, doesn't mention. And in the accounts that I saw talked about the sensitivity about the Temple Mount because of its sacredness to Muslims and doesn't even mention the sacredness to Jews, yep. uh, as I saw in another paper, and the the instigation that goes on and the refusal to hold Abbas to account. He keeps saying because he's better than the alternatives, uh, people say. But there's got to come a point where he is held to account to others who, who engage in this kind of incitement. I think Israel demonstrated incredible restraint, maybe too much after the attacks on on the uh, temple on the Mount of Olives and Harazetim. All of these things have to be responded to right away because it just keeps spreading. They take advantage of any opportunity, and they are instigated to do it. And they can range around the country to have uh, these incidents. Thank God, it is it is much calmer. You can walk the streets. There's no uh, fear. There's no incidents you know, that you encounter unless you're in a particular place where some event uh, may have occurred. Yeah, I, you mentioned incitement, and i got to give Miriam Wallach credit for pointing this out to me. If you look at these cartoons, the anti-Rabbi Glick cartoons, the cartoons that are encouraging uh, more drive-over terrorist attacks, literally, encur- you know, showing in cartoon form Israelis lying at the side of the road with, with, with cars having just hit them. Uh, if you see, the, I don't know if you noticed this online, the Hug a Terrorist campaign, you know, which is absolutely outrageous. I mean, if you look at all this, it's not even it's it's not just incitement among those who are the most violent. It's these these viral opinions and viral 
um, uh, uh, statements that they make, whether in real or cartoon form, that are just flying around the world, and people irresponsibly just keep spreading them all over the place. And and I tell people who show me them, I tell them, why are you even putting this up? Why are you right. downloading that kind of an image? And and there's there's more. You know, when you look at what Jordan has done, Jordan has started to prosecute uh, uh, IS recruits and recruiters in in Jordan. They're focusing on the 7,000 mosques in Jordan. They're telling them about the messages that they're allowed to use because they understand what the price you'll pay. They're fortifying their borders. They, um, you know, they are protected on Israel's border and by Israel as well. But the, the, uh, they're looking to, to alliances with the U.S. and, uh, their air force has played a role in Iraq and elsewhere because it's in, in their self-interest. Nobody criticizes them for taking the steps necessary. Israel, which it has demonstrated such uh, an outreach to so many people in the region, to helping others in the region, for which they get no credit. The media so distorts and is so ready to jump, and the the measures that are being adopted by European legislatures, the talk of of increased boycotts that uh, that punish Palestinians because of, uh, and they're so stupid and counterproductive in in, uh, in in what they're seeking to do or what they're the message trying to communicate. And there has to be a clear message that we won't tolerate, yeah. that we have to stop it, because I'm telling you that it's spreading, and we're going to see a bigger onslaught of these kind of campaigns against American companies yeah. who do business. And then you have the United Nations appointing a guy who has already drawn to investigate Israel, who's already drawn the conclusion that we're not going to let him in, which is the right thing. Why should you allow guys this team led by Shabbos when they've already said clearly what their con- what their uh, conclusions? are going to be. Speaking of letting in, how many of the Americans who participate in the Hug a Terrorist campaign would allow those terrorists in their home tonight for dinner? I'd love to know. know? People, the level of absurdity is just crazy. Uh, Yes, absurdity can be crazy, folks. Less than an hour. Malcolm, less than an hour till candle lighting for you. Will you be able to read Yisrael Hayom tonight when you relax in Jerusalem? Or have they have they banned that newspaper already from the uh, state of Israel? Well, it hasn't been banned. You know, there's legislation that is meant to address it, and this is a paper that Shel Nadelson has uh, underwritten, and, um, and, and it, so it's made available free. And because it is supportive of the government and Netanyahu, it became a target for others, and the, obviously the other newspapers. So people seeking to to um, take advantage of, of the opportunity to uh, limit what others would say is an attack on free press. And, and if, if uh, others have free magazines or free publications, are they going to be subjected to the same rules and restrictions that uh, are being threatened here? And it doesn't matter whether you like the paper, you don't like it, you don't like it, you don't read it. Uh, but it is made available, as you know, free, and it's become the largest circulation paper, which is easy when you're free. You have any and, uh, idea? You have any idea what the Knesset vote was, uh, even approximately? Like, was it an overwhelming victory for those who want to ban it? It was a significant margin. It's unbelievable. I mean, look, I know that you can't. We've discussed this a million times in the last twenty years. You can't apply American standards of freedom of speech. You know, to Europe and Israel, it's very different. As, as, as similar as it seems, we know it's very different. But, but still, this, this, you know, your, your, your mouth had to have dropped when you heard about this legislative campaign to literally, literally legislate out a free newspaper from Israeli society. Exactly. <laughs> you agree? And, and the people who you would think 
would be the strongest voices to protect freedom of speech, freedom of access, uh, are the ones who are most strongly advocating uh, this move. But we, I mean, we've seen this in Israel before, obviously in other forums, Knesset, etc. But I just, I felt it was outrageous. I was surprised that that media here didn't pick up more on it. You know, in 2014, I would think that they would think that it's a very significant. So maybe it will become more significant. Well, as they we, don't also don't want free newspapers to become popular in, in other societies. And yeah, that's you know, true. They, they um, so they probably aren't very sympathetic to the. Uh, to, to what the to the issue that's at stake here? Yeah, that's true. Self interest always. But you know what? You see so many of the issues that that get overlooked. You know, the human rights issues, almost no no uh, coverage. The beheadings that are taking place in Syria, in Lebanon, in other countries that they picked up from from uh, ISIS because ISIS used it as a tremendous recruiting tool and gets a thousand people a month. That that uh, the. Um, that they create a, a board of inquiry into Israel beyond just beyond the one of Shabbos, which is the United Nations. You have Human Rights Council one. You have UN headquarters uh, looking at an independent board of inquiry looking into to what's and and what is look what we're doing in every other part. Look what every other country in the region is doing. Nobody gets investigated. They're <laughs> killing people. It's Turkey, uh, the the rise of extremism in in Turkey and. You know how much I've talked about Yemen, and now this week for the first time we actually saw people taking note of what took place. But you know that a Zim boat was was attacked by uh, pirates operating out of Somalia, which they've taken hundreds of ships uh, because they go to the Bab al-Mandab. Exactly what I said would be you know the the, the straits, which now uh, Iran is encroaching on through their control of the Houthis, who are expanding their influence. In Yemen, and they control the Straits of Hormuz from the from the other side. And these pirates who come with uh, arm ship, uh, uh, arms and uh, call for reinforcements because there were Israeli security on the boat, and they actually were able to get away and turn back the attack. Hmm. And what was the reaction? Oh, they're going to get their way for the next time. They don't care. There's yeah, so many ships going true. through there. That's and, true. But what I'm saying yeah. is that you, you read about right. how many ships... Are sitting in ports that have been lost or, or, or hijacked, and their crews sometimes held for months. Right. Point well. Not a word. Point well taken. It, these are not. It, it, one cannot even use the excuse that they're isolated episodes, as you're saying. It's one after the other. Exactly. Right. And and you saw the case that came up that 200 veterans brought, U.S. veterans, about the money that that uh, was transferred through Barclays, HSBC, Credit right. Suisse, Standard Charter, many others, alleging. That the money moved by Iran, tens of millions of dollars, to uh, to groups that target U.S. troops in Iraq, and they're filing a, a lawsuit now, which is very important. As you know, other groups have done it. Uh, this is the case against Arab Bank that uh, I try to discuss. This is what the flip side of what uh, of of their uh, attempts to use lawfare against America, Israel, democracies threatening always to go to the International Criminal Court, which rejected, by the way, the uh, Marvin Mamura um, case. Right, we spoke about that. The Turkish ship, which we talked about, but it's really significant. We've heard the reverberations just in the last couple of days Hmm. about it. Unbelievable. Uh, Have you circled January the 6th on your calendar? It seems that will be a significant day in Israeli politics. They're actually going to have the Likud Committee elections um is the prime minister going to win this easily 
Well, that that is actually interesting because there's much more talk here than uh, than I, I anticipated about possibilities of elections. Uh, I don't think anybody anticipates them very soon, but they are talking about next year. There are there are people jockeying for positions. There are um, uh, you know a lot of reports. There's, there's stories of people dropping out of government, going into government. I, I spoke to several of them to see who. Uh, what what is really happening? So some of them did it really on a personal basis, for their own reasons. Some just burn out. But we see Gil, Gil or Don now coming into the government, and Gil Sire went out, and uh, uh, he was slated to become ambassador to the United Nations from Israel. So now that search has to take place and starts again. So and uh, and overall, there there are increasing tensions. I would say between. Parties and within factions. So, if the Likud party goes to the polls in January, what's likely that right after the summer there's new elections in Israel? I would say, per, per, yeah, that in 2015 you'll see an election, like somewhere from sub- yeah, somewhere uh, from September to November. From four, five, well, it depends also on you know events, right? Um, but people already, you know, the criticisms, the, the, the fight between the Shabak and the IDF, these are really unseeming. It should not be tolerated, certainly not public. Right. And, well, that's uh, the reason I bring it up is because, you know, I'm not that there's ever a good time for elections in Israel, but I don't know. Now it just seems like this is the wrong time. If anything, we need as much stability as possible and not what campaigns generally do to Israel. I would agree, and especially after this summer when we saw such tremendous unity, I don't see any real coalition against Netanyahu. Probably Lieberman will run independently. Um, the question is whether there will be mergers of some of the parties. Will uh, you know the leadership uh, stay the same in Labor or many of the other parties that uh, you know have had primaries? Will have primaries? Will we'll be discussing you know their future role? But yes. none of the polls show that clear victory for anybody. And, uh, B.B. still, I think, remains the most popular political leader. Finally, the New York Times this week described it as a leaderless Palestinian revolt. Now, we know what they mean. You know, there's no address to this type of terrorism, all these random attacks that are unfortunately taking the lives of so many people, or whatever number it is, obviously, is significant. Um, is this different in any way than the leaderless Palestinian revolts, you know, during Intifada 1, Intifada 2? I know you keep telling us, rightfully so, that the address for this one is the PA and that PA leadership is inciting it, etc. So, how, so is it in fact a leaderless Palestinian revolt or not? Well, it's also Hamas, and, and but remember, the Hamas and the PA have a, a joint regime. Right. The uh, it, it, leaderless in the sense that there isn't an, a central core place, somebody giving the orders. But we've certainly seen the pattern of incitement that I mentioned before, and it's the reason I, I mentioned it for exactly what you're highlighting. The, um, the the attacks do not appear to be coordinated. But certainly the message about the heat killer attacks, the message about uh, stabbing the attacks on the on the uh, light railroad, which has knocked out a good portion of the cars of it, these are not just spontaneous. Yeah, but I'm a- I'm asking from a different angle. In other words, we, you know, who who worry constantly about the the citizens of Israel, rightfully so. Uh, so we saw eventually during the era of bus bombing, Israel was able to secure things to the point where, thank God. You know, that whole thing, you know, essentially it, uh, it ended. Security was able to be built 
and be good enough to stop it. Is it possible, if in fact that this is leaderless and random, is it possible for Israeli security to deal with it in an efficient fashion? I do think so. I've spoken to security people and police and others. I do believe that they're capable uh, of dealing with it. They have to be willing to withstand some of the criticism. There has to be, I think, more foresight in anticipating uh, some of the uh, developments that that have occurred, that you can't, you know, once they start attacking the light railroad, if you don't stop it, it's just going to spread because they know that it, you know, it strikes a chord, and especially when you have violence in, around the, the uh, Harabais, the Temple Mount, and, and other sensitive areas. But yes, I do believe you can do much more. Can you prevent everything? No. Can you stop, uh, you know, some of the stone throwing that, that to to a full degree? No, but arrest the parents when they're kids. Hold people for serious account. The legislation to to stop the the freeing of prisoners because look at who carried out the attack, guys. One of them was re- involved in two prisoner releases. One by Sharoni was released, and one in the Gilad Shalit. That's uh, right. Released. I forgot to mention that. So important. So important. This is one of the things you always warn about. These guys getting back in the field and, uh, you know, and, and, um, and spreading terrorism again. And sure and, enough. And of course, when we look at the, the, the threat from the, uh, ISIS guys. Yeah. Who, who, who are coming back and, uh, you see the recruitment numbers and the training that's going on. There's another thing, you know, Iran can play a role in all of this, but very little holding account for, for them, uh, trying to undermine regimes and, and stimulating the, the terrorism as is ISIS and, and others. And there has to be, I mean, really strong uh, policies about this if we want to really stop it and stop the danger to citizens everywhere. I think people in our community are getting more and more uh, tense about these issues. I don't know. They shouldn't be tense. They have to be alert. They have to make sure our institutions are protected. We have to press our, our governments to, to take the steps necessary to watch our borders, to watch, uh, our, uh, to enhance the police capabilities, to see to it that that uh, the countries that in which these are taking place take responsibility for what goes on there or pay a price. The the you know these things spread. These are cancers that spread globally and endanger more and more. And the um, you know the, and when a country like Russia wants to sell two nuclear reactors. Which is not bad because they, you know they get paid for it, but they uh, also enrich the uranium, take the spent the rods, and uh, reprocess them uh, in in Russia. But they're talking about six more. We're going to be seeing you know other countries then rushing into it, the the free flow of arms, and and then when when events like Yemen or or what's going on in Lebanon today, and the international community just washes its hands of it, and. And all the parties that should be there defending uh, the people and the, the countries that we hear from who feel themselves under siege and feel that the West completely ignores them. Yeah, that's what true. incentive is there then for them to, to take the risk and to stand up? You know, Samantha Power, Ambassador Power, the U.S. Ambassador to U.N., pointed out that this CS, OSCE conference on anti-Semitism about the fact that a third less leaders from Europe even came at a time when you have such a sharp increase in anti-Semitism. And she really laid down the law with about holding them to account for for what goes on. 
this is only one of the symptoms, one of the things. Look how quickly they condemn, they can arouse the whole international community against Israel for defending its citizens and doing what it should be doing. And yet when it comes to speaking out against some of these BDS campaigns against... Not a word, Anti-Semitism. Unbelievable. Uh, Malcolm, uh, very quickly, last week you mentioned uh, a whole list of holy sites in different areas of the Middle East, that, Jewish holy sites, that continue to be destroyed or defaced. Is, is there anybody who's written extensively on this somewhere on the web or anything you could point to that you've seen where people can get a better perspective? Because a lot of the listeners of this show uh, were shocked to hear what you said on that topic last week. And we saw more of it. And, and it's, by the way, not just Jewish sites, it's Christian Right, sites you had mentioned well. both. Right. Even Muslim holy sites, you know, the Shiites don't tolerate um, uh, mausoleums or, or uh, graves, and they, they desecrate the uh, So is anyone out Shiite, there? Uh, Sunni sites as well. But there are articles, there are uh, um, some reports that have been written about the extensive damage that were uh, some newspaper accounts where they tried to aggregate uh, the incidents of the well-known sites, the sites of, of the prophets of others, uh, that have come under uh, consistent siege. And, you know, the Rush, the Iranians, by the way, threatened to destroy the graves, the site of, of the graves of uh, Mordechai and Esther, right. and uh, many others. So it, it, this is a thing that spreads, and, it, and, and they know that it hurts people. All right, so it's out there, or as we say in the vernacular now, I guess it's searchable. Um, don't forget, Wednesday night, Malcolm will be back from Jerusalem. He'll be at the Young Israel of Flatbush with Rabbi Beryl Wine. That starts at 8 p.m. this coming Wednesday evening in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Enjoy Jerusalem, Mr. Holmline, and have a wonderful Shabbos. I'll thank you all at the Kotel and wish you all a good Shabbos. And, and that it, we pray that it'll be a safe Shabbos, and, uh, especially being Chayasara Amen. That's right. A lot of people in Hebron, they should have a safe and wonderful time. It is an incredible time there. This Shabbos, I miss it already. Uh, JM and the M Friday morning, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.